It's a noisy world out there. If you want to grab and hold the attention of your audience, you'd better have a good message. Content matters. And in this episode, we'll explore the idea that well-chosen words, phrases and stories are the ingredients that make up that message. So let's enter the kitchen, fire up the oven and see what we can do with some high-quality, organic ingredients. Welcome to Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I guess we've all been cooking more often during lockdown. And if you're like me, you end up watching YouTube clips for a bit of inspiration. So I've been learning from Jamie, Nigella, Gordon, um, and the impossibly passionate Italian chef Gennaro Contaldo, um, who apparently was a mentor to Jamie Oliver. I'd recommend you watch the clip where he makes homemade pesto using lemons from a, a nearby orchard, he almost sucks one of them into his nostrils as he smells the lemon before cutting into it. A common theme amongst all these chefs is the importance of quality ingredients. And it got me thinking about what that might mean when it comes to communication. And one outcome of this was um, a food metaphor about presentations. Yes, this is the kind of stuff that occupies my mind. Think of a presentation like serving up a meal in a restaurant. The structure of your talk is like the courses of a meal. So in the UK, we're used to a three-course version of starter, main and dessert. Um, and so you have a beginning, a middle and an end, um, the, the so-called three-act structure. And I guess classic French cuisine might involve something more complex, and um, maybe six courses. So a more sophisticated structure for your presentation might involve a grabber, a link to your theme, a bit about you, the meat or the main body of the talk, and a summary, and then a call to action. But what about the contents of the dish? These are the quality ingredients that I referred to before, and I'll expand on this shortly. But one thing you often hear chefs talking about is how they grow their own herbs um, or vegetables or keep their own livestock. It's a personal thing for them, and perhaps the equivalent in communication is to draw on your own direct experiences. It's more authentic, it's more credible. You score high on ethos when you do this. It's all very well having good ingredients though, but it's also about how you combine them, um, how you plate them up and serve them with style. Because after all, you're not just feeding calories to your audience, you want them to appreciate what you serve and enjoy the experience. But I want to focus on this notion of quality ingredients, QI if you wish. So let me give you some examples. Consider the words or the phrases that you use to describe your work. And are you using um, industry standard language like 
customer-focused, personalised service, practical know-how, or best-in-class. I used to talk a bit like this when I started out in business, but it just sounded too bland, um, too vanilla. So over time, I've developed um, some more unusual ways to describe what I do. Um, So, for example, I might talk about verbal PR, not the normal type of PR or public relations, but the stuff that comes out of our mouths. Um, I sometimes describe myself as the multi-story man. Um, I help clients move from informing to inspiring their audience. And there's also the unusual sounding term, uh, story listening, because it isn't all about you doing the talking. I have a, a friend who's branded herself the natural leadership coach. A, because she feels that you need good chemistry between the coach and the client, a natural fit, if you will, and B, because she feels that there's a leader residing naturally in all of us. And it's just that certain things get in the way of it uh, emerging, uh, things like self-limiting beliefs. Another friend calls herself and the Google of my organisation. Uh, she's very well connected on the outside, but she has a, a deep familiarity with the talent that's available within her firm. So if you take time to reflect, you may well find some aspects of your work or your own story that could really transform your message and make it more distinctive and and more remarkable. The author Dan Pink talks about the power of the rhyming catchphrase. Um, And a famous example would be from the O.J. Simpson trial, where his lawyer coined the phrase, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And he was referring to a glove um, that was found at the scene of the crime, and and OJ was asked to try it on in front of the jury. It was a very dramatic moment. But whether they rhyme or not, catchphrases have been used to great effect in political campaigns like... um, take back control from the Brexit camp and uh, yes, we can from the Obama campaign. So if you can settle on a pithy saying that um, encapsulates your work, you might be onto a winner. A lot of people describe what they do in rather dry, factual terms. And we all need a bit of that so that we can orientate our thinking and position you correctly. But what's more interesting is when you talk about your work. And by about, I mean the experience of doing it, the things that you've learned, the people that you've helped, the theories that you've developed about how and why you do what you do in your unique way. And I recently came across an interesting company in Manchester who based their product around a set of beliefs, which they call the five pillars. And the product is um, a social media style app, which encourages greater engagement between an organisation and its workforce. But instead of simply focusing on the tech, what they're really promoting is an idea. A set of five principles um, around employee engagement. So they might, for example, focus on recognition, 
the fact that employees want to feel that their contribution to the company is understood and valued. Or it might be about lines of communication um, and employees having access to things like rotors and payslips, uh, something they refer to as self-service. Now, the product that they sell serves those beliefs. It's the, the emissary serving the master, uh, to use a phrase from the, the previous podcast on Leaning Forward. I'd also point out that one of the reasons that TED Talks has developed such a following is that it's a platform for promoting an idea worth spreading. So take a lead from TED and spend some time thinking about the broader ideas and principles that underpin your work. See if you can develop a set of beliefs, perhaps even to the point of writing your own manifesto. Finally, let's consider the quality of those ingredients in the stories that you tell. Um, After all, you want to do justice to the experiences that you've had so that your audience feels moved in some way. We have, after all, had a front row seat in these experiences, and so we're in an excellent position to share them and perhaps use them to illustrate the, um, the ideas that we want to promote. And without stories, we, we end up serving our audience um, purely uh, abstract content, often in bullet point form. And it tends to leave people cold. It tends to wash over them. So what do I mean by doing justice to an experience? Well, I'm going to use skydiving as an example, and and I'm not brave enough to willingly fling myself out of an aeroplane. So I'm recalling a story uh, that someone told me in a workshop that I ran a few years ago. And I seem to remember that the lady told that story in a rather factual way to begin with. And as a group, we began to tease out some juicier material. So it became something that was actually quite gripping. So suppose the original version started like this. I've always wanted to do a parachute jump, but I've never had the courage. But my husband bought me an experience gift for my 40th birthday. So I found myself at the local airfield in the summer of 2019 with a group of fellow skydivers, some experienced and some first timers like me. Now, that's not bad, but let's try adding in a few extras um, just to see if we can make um, something a little bit more compelling. So here's an alternative way to open. I've always had an inner desire to be daring But my parents were not adventurous types, and their idea of a thrill was to put jam on top of the cream for a change instead of underneath. I was an only child, and I would describe them as risk-averse, always worrying about any bumps and bruises that I might get from something as dangerous as cycling around the park. So maybe that was one of the reasons I married Jeff, because he's a bit crazy and he's always encouraging me to try stuff that would have horrified the younger me. I've definitely become more adventurous over the years, but when I opened an envelope that he gave me on my 40th birthday and saw what was inside, I started shaking like a leaf. It was a voucher 
for a parachute jump. Yes, it's a bit longer, but if this was you, it does set the scene quite nicely. It helps us to understand who you are and what the experience that you're describing might have felt like. Um, in a way, it helps us to feel more invested in the story. We, we begin to care a little bit more. As the story progresses, it might then be worth considering the following. What about the other people who joined you on the day? Did you befriend any of them? And were they confident or similarly terrified? What was the briefing like from the organisers? Did they fill you with confidence? Was there a, a memorable word or phrase that stuck in your mind? I mean, I remember a briefing that um, myself and my wife got once before a scuba diving trip on the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Um, they talked about nosebleeds and fillings coming out, but they assured us that the sharks were nothing to worry about. That was comforting. Anyway, back to the skydiving. How did you feel when you first donned your parachute? Was it heavier or lighter than you expected? Did it remind you of anything? What was it like when you entered the plane? Presumably it was a little bit different to, say, an easy jet flight. What was your physical and mental state as you took off? And did it change as you neared the altitude for the jump? What was it like when it was your turn to go? Did you notice anything unusual? Where, where was your focus? And describe the moment just before you jumped. What went through your mind? Couldn't we have just gone skiing instead? And on we go into the jump itself and the aftermath, the reflection and maybe some lessons learned. As I say, doing this will make the story longer, but it's amazing how people will lengthen their attention span when they hear a well-told story, something that they feel connected with or invested in. Wherever you have an audience, you want to serve up the best possible dish, and that means top quality ingredients. If you draw on your own experiences, it's more organic, it's more authentic, and it's actually appreciated by your customers. But you want to do justice to those experiences in the telling. So if you can find the humanity and the drama in the tale that you're telling. It helps us, the audience, to experience it too. It's almost like we were there. And if you can find some interesting words and phrases, principles and beliefs that um, characterise your work, you will stand out from your rivals who are still sort of stuck in that factual version and you'll really begin to get under people's skin, but in a good way. That's all for now from Leaning Forward. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, and do join us again for future episodes.